0: Welcome to the Atmosphere Church Podcast. On behalf of all of us here at Atmosphere, thank you for downloading or streaming this message. We pray that it will touch your heart and change your life. Regardless of what you believe, where you come from, or what questions you might have, you are welcome here. Our desire is to help lead you in experiencing God by following Jesus. If you want to find out more information about us, head over to our website at atmosphere.church. We have already prayed for you that today's message would speak directly to your heart and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. Enjoy the message.
1: We are in a series, as you just saw in that video, called Live a Better Story. How many of you are ready to live a better story for your life and for your family? And more importantly for your future. We're in the book of Nehemiah. So if you have your Bibles, we are actually going to be camped out in chapter 4 today. And we're entitling this morning's talk, Cancel the Critics. Cancel the Critics. And we know we live in a cancel culture, but this is one of the things that we really want to endorse that needs to be canceled. And those are those pesty critics that want to come against what God is doing in us and the great work that he is desiring to do through us. So let me pray this and we're going to jump right in. Father, we thank you so much that all the glory honor and power be to your name today, and I pray that God, just as that song declares, God, that you would use our time and your word, Lord, to craft that better story that you are building and rebuilding in our lives and through our lives, and we thank you in advance for how you're going to do that. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Thank you, guys. So uh, let me th- start off by telling you that any time that you begin tasting success, you are going to have critics surface. Anytime you begin tasting success, you are going to have critics surface. Now, Nehemiah is the chronicles of this man, Nehemiah, in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem and restoring the gates of Jerusalem. The walls were down, which means that things were a mess, and they were vulnerable to all kinds of havoc for their city. So walls were essential. Gates were... uh, just necessary for them to be able to function and carry on and do what they felt God was calling them to do. So then enter Nehemiah who comes on scene, God gives him a passion to see this great city be rebuilt and restored, and then as soon as he gets momentum, he has critics surface by the name of Sanballat and Tobiah. And we read about these guys first in chapter two, and I'm gonna read in verse 10 where we're introduced to these villains. Because every good story has a villain or right, the nemesis, and these are the villains. Then it says, and when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much. Disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. So I don't know what they had going on, if this was like some kind of a cartel thing where, you know, building the walls was going to hurt their business. So they wanted to make sure that they weren't going to succeed. But that's where we kind of are introduced to the bad guys, the the critics in Nehemiah's life. And we got to embrace the idea that when we begin winning in life and building the better story, that there will be critics that surface. And the more we're prepared for that, the better we will endure that critic that comes in our life. The first time I really dealt with the critic was actually my sophomore year in high school. We had moved, my family had moved to Oklahoma. So I was born and raised in California, moved to Oklahoma. I'm a California boy moving to Oklahoma. And it was funny because when I moved there, everybody thought I surfed and had no idea where Bakersfield was. So I thought that was funny. So here I was, the new kid on campus, sophomore year, not knowing anybody at the school. Brand new experience, but I have this California kid vibe. and, And so, you know, people were embracing me. Uh, to some degree, especially this young girl in my P.E. class. She became my friend, was talking to me and was interested in me. and We had these great conversations, but it didn't take long for somebody else to notice that this girl was noticing me. And this big old boy came up to me after class at P.E. one day. This is probably the first week of school and said, I don't like your face. And I just was like so shocked by this news, like who could like this face and for the sake of just giving him a name, I'll call him Biff, because he just looked like a Biff. And with the strongest voice I could muster up inside of me, I said, hey, you, I'm not looking for any trouble, Biff. I was just so like petrified. The only one that I knew was this cute little girl. She couldn't defend me and help me out. I had no bros in my corner. So as quickly as I could, fortunately, he stood down. It was in the middle of or class right and so I left I hurried out of there and my first God story happened that day without telling a soul my schedule got changed and I was not in that class anymore I never saw Biff again thank you Jesus I probably am here and I'm a survivor because of that day I probably weighed a buck 25 and probably was like five foot six and I mean he was probably 300 pounds and was the lineman on the football team I don't know but all that to say I learned a lesson that when you are prepared for the biffs and the sand in your life, you will handle the biffs and the sand a lot better than if you're unprepared. And so what we want to talk this morning before we talk about handling our critics is what to expect when we start winning. When God begins rebuilding that story and, and the walls and the gates in our life. Here's Take notes here. First point. When you start winning, expect that your qualifications are going to be questioned. Nehemiah 4, verses 1 through 3. When Samballet heard... What they are building, even a fox climbing up on it, would break down their wall of stones. So they were taunting them. They were questioning their qualifications, going, you guys are nothing. You guys can't provide any shelter or protection for this city. Who are you? You're these feeble Jews. What I've noticed in the years that I've been connected in leadership is the chronic criticizers that surface against our life typically are in two positions. They're either coming from a position of jealousy or a position of insecurity. They're the ones that tend to be your worst criticizers. And if you're a people pleaser like me, you will want everyone to like you. But in this capacity, in the brokenness of our world, not everybody is going to be your fan or your follower on social media. There are some people, I, I, my father-in-law gave this years ago in one of the messages that he did. He's a pastor as well. And it, free, it freed me in so many ways. And, and hopefully it'll set you free. He said, 25% of people you meet will never like you. 25%, that's kind of harsh, huh? 25% of people you meet won't like you but could be persuaded to. of people you meet will like you but could be persuaded not to. And 25% of people you meet will like you and always be there for you. So I I read this and it it sets me free because it tells me no matter what I do, no matter how nice I am, there are going to be criticizers in my life that are not going to change their mind and how they feel toward me. But I've learned something that... I want to turn criticism on its head and I want to start looking at criticism as a compliment because it means that that something is being built in my life that somebody else may be jealous of or somebody is insecure of that they see is threatening to them and when it comes to our relationship with God and our faith when God begins doing a great work in you rejoice over the criticism because it's a compliment. Because they wouldn't be coming against you if your life was going down in the opposite direction and moving further away from God. That's why I like to say, let your haters become your elevators. Come on, that's good. That's tweetable right there. Let your haters become your elevators. Why? Because those people in your life are not going to go anywhere. So just look at them and say, I'm going to use them and their criticism to elevate me and the game and the rebuilding of my life that is going on. Here's the second thing to expect is your plans will be threatened. Nehemiah 4, verses 7 and 8. But when Samballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the people of Ashtar heard that the repairs of Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. Mm, that sounds familiar, a.k.a. Portland. <laughs> it's just like, that is so 2020 right there. And let me tell you, that these troublemakers are gonna come and they're gonna try to undo the plans that possibly God has already directed you to do. They're gonna oppose him. They're gonna try to frustrate you. I like to say it this way. Whenever you are pursuing a divine opportunity, there will be demonic opposition. So when God is presenting you with a divine opportunity, there is going to be demonic opposition. Opposition that doesn't make any sense. It just seems like, it's just like, wow, it's just, this is hard. Have you ever done a project you thought, oh, this is going to be easy, and then you started doing it, and it's like difficulty after difficulty? Whoa. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 16, 8, 9. He was doing a great work. He says, but I will stay at Ephesus until Pentecost because a good opportunity for a great and growing work has been given to me now, and there are many people working against me. There it is. So when God begins giving you plans, expect that those plans are going to be threatened. And here's the third point, is your resolve will be tested. So expect that when you begin winning, that your resolve is gonna be tested. That that tenacity that is driving you to keep going is gonna be tested. There's gonna be discouragement that will come your way that is going to try to convince you to quit before the job is done. Listen to this, Nehemiah 4, verses 10 and 11. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemy said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we will kill them and put an end to their work. Talk about discouragement. I tell you, we're living in a discouraging season right now. I don't know what you do possibly for a career, but chances are, whatever you do for a living, you're probably having to work twice as hard than you were working before COVID hit. I know even from a pastor's perspective, like there's so many pivots and adjustments that we're needing to make go on a line and all the things that go with that and following the guidelines and things that need to be put in place. We're working twice as hard as a church community than we typically would have to minus COVID-19. And this goes across the board in every kind of job and every kind of career. And enough of that will get you to a place of weariness and fatigue that you'll be questioning whether or not it's worth it to keep going. How many have been there in the last six months? I mean, I remember. Some of you remember this too. 15 days, stop the spread, flatten the curve. Remember that? We're like, okay, maybe you're like me. You're like, okay, I can do 15 days. Yeah, okay. It'll be like a little mini vacation. Like, we'll all shelter in place together, and 15 days turned into a month, turned into two months, turned into six months, and here we are embracing the reality that Christmas may be canceled. Like, Christmas as we know it. I mean, hey, the Macy's Thanksgiving Parade, Gone! How many of you, that is like, that is like a defining way to look at the calendar, like, you know, Thanksgiving morning, like you watch the parade, God. And, and here's the reality. If I were to tell you, hey, we're going to train for a marathon, you'd be like, okay, some of you'd be like, ah, it's going to be hard, but we're going to train, we're going to get ready. Okay, so let's say Dave Marathon comes, 26.1 miles, you're, you're like, you're mentally ready for that and you're, you're, you've been training, you've been running every day, you're like, I got this. What if on mile marker 20, as you're running, as you're kind of getting low on energy, and you're trying to like, okay, I got six more miles in me, what if we came up to you and said, hey, you know how the finish line was at 26.1? Well, they decided that they're going to push it forward, and we don't exactly know where the finish line is now. It could be 28 miles. could be 30. Who knows? It might be 100 miles. Now, how many of you running that marathon would stop right there and say, I'm not running anymore, dude. I don't have 100 miles left in my tank right now. I barely have enough maybe to complete six. And now you're telling me that you don't even know where the finish line is. This is kind of the headspace where a lot of us are right now. And it's very discouraging. I told you a few weeks ago, that my father-in-law was listening to this guy talking, and he had this vision where, in the vision, he was seeing that there was a new release of principalities against followers of Jesus for a time of discouragement, that people that are following Jesus are gonna have a time where they're convincing themselves that they're not worthy, that they don't matter to anybody, and that they shouldn't keep going. And when I heard this, it, it bore witness with me because I've been noticing that people I've been ministering to, even me in moments of discouragement that I've went through in the last six months, I'm like, I know this is the real space what's happening with the digital fatigue and media fatigue, cabin fear, I like all of it, not knowing where the finish line is. And I want to encourage you. That as God is building a better story for your life, your resolve is going to be tested. But God is here today to declare to you, keep running because he is running with you and when you can't run anymore, he's going to carry you until you rest up and you can keep running. That's what God's telling us. But this is what to expect when you begin winning. And Why is it important to know? Because if you expect it, then it's not going to sideways you in the middle of you experiencing it so here's how you handle the critics I'm going to give you a three-point shot that's better than any Steph Curry three-point shot that he'll ever shoot right here okay write this down okay here's the first point and that is you pray and I know that sounds so cliche, it's church, like, of course we're supposed to pray, pastor, give us a deeper thought than pray, like, come on, give us something that we can just like, like just chew on all the way and meditate on, just like pray, that's not, that's not a lot of substance there, but let me tell you, we know about prayer, we talk about prayer, we learn about prayer, but are we actually praying, church? Because here's the benefit of prayer when it comes to handling your critics, is that when you pray God is downloading to you the wisdom to know exactly how you're supposed to handle your critics. He'll give you the wisdom. He'll tell you how you are to move forward with them. And if we use prayer as a first response instead of a last resort, things are gonna end up differently for us. Listen to how Nehemiah handles this. In Nehemiah 4 verse 4 he says, Hear us O God. So he gets this message downloaded to him. Hey Samballot all, Tobiah, all these guys are coming against the work, and he's probably processing it, and the first response is, hear us, our God. God, I know you told me to do this great work, so God, I'm turning to you what to do with these critics that are coming into our life. He, he uses prayer as a first response. How differently would your story look if you use prayer as a first response instead of a last resort? There would be headaches and heartaches that you would avoid because God would give you the wisdom to avoid them. And instead of praying, we walk right into traps, we walk right into messes, and we're like, man, I didn't even see this coming. God's saying, if you would have prayed, I would have given you some preemptive strategy so that you wouldn't walk right into those things. But here's beyond the wisdom, is when we start calling on God in prayer, what he does is he starts fighting for us. So there's the wisdom, which is the practical, but then there is the the spiritual aspect of it, that there are critics in our life that are coming against us that are being egged on by forces that are even beyond them. It's like that demonic opposition is working through that person against your life. And so when you start praying, you start disarming these principalities that are actually fueling this critic against your life. And so God begins fighting for you supernaturally to where you don't even have to say or do anything. And a lot of times, I know if you're like me, I like to take matters in my own hands. I know something is is right there. I'm going to handle it. I'm going to take care of it. My family always laughs at me because we think of something. I'm like, let's do it right now. They're like, why are you always doing that? Because I go, if not, I'll forget about it. Like, let's handle this. I'm like, let's do this. Let's take care of business. Let's get it on. But taking matters in your own hands can sometimes actually make matters worse. How many have ever done that? And God's saying, no, no, no. I want you in prayer to take the matters out of your hands and place them in my hands. Because God's hands will be way better than your hands will ever be in helping solve the issues being caused by your critics. This is such... A powerful word that we need to embrace. And Nehemiah knew it. In verse 20, he says, our God will fight for us. He came from a place of experience saying, hey, I know what happens when I try to handle things on my own. And I know how things you know, uh, come undone or, or, or get put together when we actually give it over to God. So I'm going to choose to get over to God because he's going to fight for us. Now, When I was early in my ministry career, when a problem would happen, I would kind of take that issue and, and tackle it head on. I'm not, a, I'm not afraid of confrontation. I'm, I'm not afraid of conflict. I'll handle it. And, and what I learned is that in stepping in too quickly, I can actually take a little spark and actually make it into an inferno. And so what I've learned over the years is that God has a way better way of handling issues than I do. And so now I've learned that if there is an issue in the church, especially, if I pray and I give it over to God, then let God give me the the download of how to handle it, it will actually be resolved a lot better and a lot more effectively than if I handle it. And there was a defining moment in my ministry career probably about 10 years ago. And this person in our church was giving a leader in our church some issues and it was causing some drama and this leader came to me and they were kind of upset about it and that part of me that wants to just react I was like well I'm going to take that person I'm going to sit him down and I'm set him straight like nobody does that and so there was that fighter in me it was like I'm going to take care of that and then in that moment I prayed and I said God I want you to speak to me what I'm supposed to do on this and you know what God said he said do nothing let me handle this one, Jim. So I did it. I I stepped back. I stood down and I let God do his work. And about three days later, I'm not even kidding. This person came to me and apologized for any drama they had caused. And they said, I went back to this leader and apologized and just made everything right. And they said, God had been convicting them. See, I could have stepped in and I could have handled business and maybe they would have, you know, been okay. But I could have also caused all kinds of side fires by trying to fix this myself. I let God fix it and it got handled beautifully. All because God can do a lot better job handling your critic than you can. Let me give you something that God gave me as I was preparing this Bible study in Romans chapter 12. I'm going to read from the Passion Translation because I love how it it talks about this text. And I believe there's a, there's a side rhema or a side word that somebody here is going to receive from this passage this morning. It says, never hold a grudge or try to get even, but plan your life around the noblest way to benefit others. Do your best to live as everybody's friend. Beloved, don't be obsessed with taking revenge, but leave that to God's righteous justice. For the scriptures say, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. And if your enemy is hungry, buy him lunch, win him over with kindness. For your surprising generosity will awaken his conscience and God will reward you with favor. Come on, somebody. That's good. God can do a better job taking care of the situation than I can. Psalm fifty-five, twenty-two. 22, cast your burden upon the Lord, and he'll sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Give it to God. Some of you need to go home today, and you need to actually take your hands and say, God, I've been handling this according to my ways, according to the way that I think I should handle the matter, but now, God, I'm giving it to you. I'm putting this matter into your hands, and God's going to do a great work through it. Here's the second point. Write this down, and that is persist. Nehemiah chapter four, verses 16 through 18. From that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all of the people of Judah and who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. In verse 21, so we continued the work with half the men holding spears, from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. They just said, hey, we know that there's a threat against us, but we're gonna keep on working. Even if we have to hold the job in one hand and hold the weapon in the other hand, we are going to keep doing the work, even in the midst of threat, why? Because the critic only wins if you quit. Can I say that one more time, church? You need to hear this. The critic only wins if you quit, if you give up, if you stop working before the job is done. This is why the devil is relentless in some of your minds right now to try to get you to quit. Because if you quit, you're gonna stop short of the victory that God has already reserved for your life, reserved for your family, and reserved for your future. So of course he wants you to quit. Because once you taste the victory, not only are you gonna be walking in victory, but everybody around you gets to witness your victory, which is going to encourage them with their battles. So if he gets you to quit, he gets a two for one deal on that. So what does that tell us? Don't give up. Keep building, keep working, don't give up on that marriage, keep building. Keep working. Don't give up on your family. Keep building. Keep working. Don't give up on your life. Don't give up on your spiritual growth. Keep building and keep working because your harvest is coming. Your victory is coming as long as you don't quit. Galatians 6, 9. So let us not become tired of doing good. For if we do not give up, the time will come when we will reap the harvest. Turn to somebody right now and say, don't give up, your harvest is coming. Just tell them that, declare it to them. Say, don't give up, your harvest is coming. Now, one of the, the fun things about living in this new area, Thousand Oaks, we just moved here, we, were, we moved from Bakersfield to Camarillo, and now we're living right here in Thousand Oaks. And I mean, it's called Thousand Oaks for a reason, right? There's oak trees everywhere, and I, I love the oak tree. Even before I moved here, I loved the oak tree, and it's a, it's a big tree. I, I don't know if you've seen one that's really, really old. I think there was an article this last week about a really old oak tree that's in town. But these things could get massive. But you know what fascinates me about an oak tree? Is it comes from an acorn. So at one point, in that big old oak tree's story, it was an acorn. It was an acorn, this little nut, that just got on the ground and just had the elements working it and keeping it going, and this little acorn didn't stop, and it turned into a mighty oak tree. I know some of you are in the acorn stage of your story, but if you keep going, if you keep building, this acorn right should should speak hope to you, should speak life to you, that your oak tree is coming if you refuse to give up. And also, let this remind you that God can do a lot with a little nut. I'm just saying, some of you, you need that word this morning. There's hope for you, all right? But I know right now that discouragement is running rampant. And the worst critic of all that we face is the critic in our mind. The critic that has a hold of our minds. And he's discouraging us with all kinds of things that you're handling with your, possibly your marriage, your family, your job, even your own mental health. You're battling. And I'm telling you, persist. Keep going. Keep going. Because your harvest is coming. Here's the the third and final point we want to talk about. And that is protect. 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 Nehemiah 4 verse 9, but we pray to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. I love this. Jade and I have been talking about how the spiritual and the practical fuse together all the time throughout scripture. And sometimes we could over-spiritualize matters in our life, but there's always a practical nature to everything that God is asking us to do with our lives. The spiritual means the practical. Here it is, pray and post a guard up. So here's the truth is it's not a lack of faith to lock your doors at night people. That's called being smart. It's not a lack of trust in God to have an emergency fund to help you in times like we're going through right now. That's called wisdom. And that's the spiritual and the practical. And what we see here is that Nehemiah is teaching us that there's an element of protection that is to be built in because sometimes the critics need the alarm system more for us to push them back than for them to just invade our lives without us even knowing that they're there. Protection is a good thing. And I would even say it's a godly characteristic to be protective in nature. Nehemiah 4, verse 14 After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. I tell you, protection is a very attractive quality. Let me tell you my story about this, because Tara and I were just friends back in the day. We were going to our young adult ministry at the time at her dad's church, and we were just kind of getting to know each other. And we did this ministry night where we went out and did some street ministry, and we found different people and shared our faith with them and prayed with people. And we went to this park, and there was a group of people that we were ministering to, and this other car drove up as we were ministering to them, and all of these guys got out, and they were totally drunk. And they immediately came up and started trying to antagonize us and and trying to say, there is no God. And one of the guys grabbed Tara's hand and he started bending her fingers back and said, if God is real, he could stop me right now from bending her fingers back. And I grabbed his hand, pulled his hand off of Tara's hand and said, I don't know about God, but I'm gonna stop you right now, bud. And at that point, her eyes turned into hearts. She said, my hero." It was our twilight moment. I think we started dating like a week after that. And I didn't know, I was just instinctively just saying, that's not right, what he's doing. And and I immediately stood up and said, no, that's not gonna happen. Men, let me tell you, stand up and protect your wives. Parents, stand up, protect your kids. I'm telling you, I was so just disheartened by learning this thing, and I don't even want to give it attention, but, but some of you that have middle schoolers, you need to know there's a thing right now on, on TikTok, and it's going viral called the WAP dance, and it's from the song that is terrible. It's porn in a song. I'm like, parents, Please protect your kids and make sure that they're not getting access to, to things that they don't understand and they don't know how to process when they're so young. It can send them spiraling in really, really dark ways. So protect them. It's a godly thing, and God wants us to stand up and he wants us to fight against the ways that things are happening against our families. But the biggest critic. That we need to fight against is a critic we can't even see with our eyes. And this is what makes it so frustrating. But this is how Paul says in Ephesians six twelve. We just talked about this like a month ago. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So the Apostle Paul is writing this saying, hey guys, I know we have a lot of opposition coming, but I want you to know a lot of that opposition is actually being fueled by principalities that we can't even see that are not of this world, that are evil in nature. Peter goes on to say this in 1 Peter 5.8. He says, be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour As a follower of Christ, you need to understand something. You immediately have a critic coming against you. Peter calls him our adversary, the devil, and he is gunning for your life. He does not want to see you win. He does not want to let you have your victory. And he's going to come against you at every opportunity he can. And so the way we protect ourselves against these strategies of the evil one against our life is we pay attention to our minds. Because the Bible says we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. And the way the critic, the adversary works against our life mostly and mainly is through our thought life. Our thoughts betray us all the time. And the best way you're going to protect your mindset against the schemes of the enemy trying to create opportunity against you is that you put on a really good offense. So you keep the enemy on his heels. I love this, that the best defense is really a good offense. We, we keep him on his heels. That means that the best way that you're going to protect your mind is filling your mind intentionally with the things that God wants for your life. This is why we advocate reading the Bible every day. Sure, there may be chapters, because we read chapters of the Old Testament and New Testament every day. There might be chapters like, I don't know. You might even be in the book of Exodus right now going, I don't know about this stuff. But I'm telling you, even if it's just one chapter, the old or the new, as long as you're reading the word, you're preoccupying your mind, reminding your mind of the goodness of God and the greatness of God, and the way that God wants to move for you, just like God moved for them in the Bible. So we're, we're going on the offense. We're reading the word. We're going on the offense. We're listening to worship music when we're driving somewhere, when we're getting ready in the morning, when we're maybe even getting ready to go to sleep at night. You know, I, I know so many people that battle with bad dreams and nightmares that they have told me, testimony after testimony, that they put worship music on in their room, low in volume, but they let it play all night. Nightmares go away like that. Tell me that's not demonic. Like God inhabits the praises of his people. So, so we, we go in the offense by worship. We go in the offense by having people in our life groups that are running the same direction. They're not perfect, but they're running the same direction that we can call, that we can text, that they can call and text us. And I'm telling you, when you go in the offense and you get the enemy on defense, you are going to start winning the battle of building a better story for your life. I love this quote I read years ago, and it stuck with me. Be the kind of person that when your feet hit the floor in the morning, the devil says, oh, blank, they're up. Come on, man. We need to be on the offense. There's a a passage in the New Testament where Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. I don't know if you've ever stopped and thought about what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying, I'm going to protect the church. No, gates are not a way to attack somebody you've never read a story where somebody attacked another city with gates gates are to protect and so this is jesus saying the church is going to now play on offense the church is actually going to move in and take back the territory that the devil stole from this world years ago and centuries ago the church is going to be moving forward and here's what you need to understand. If you're not moving forward, you're gonna be slipping backwards. And that's the idea of going on the offense. And this is why the weapons that we fight, the critic of our minds, is so important for you to understand. It's not like the weapons that that we're used to in this world. 2 Corinthians 10 says it this way, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, They have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That God wants to fill you up so much that your thought life no longer controls you but that you now control your thought life. I want you to know that everything, maybe that's inside of you that's feeling discouraged, that when that hopelessness is trying to take over, heaven is reminding you that nothing will be impossible for God. So we pray, we persist, we protect, and I'm telling you, the better story that God has for your life, for your family, for your future is here for you to receive. Would you stand to your feet? We're going to end with a a worship song because I know some of you, you're tired, you're weary, you're you're discouraged. Your mind has been your biggest critic lately, but I'm telling you, worship is warfare. And so as we sing the song, declare it, that you are close to your victory. And that your goal should be to keep moving forward, to keep building, to keep working, to not give up. With a weapon in one hand and work in the other hand, you're going to keep doing it
0: because your harvest is coming. Thank you for tuning in today to another great message from Atmosphere Church. If this message has spoken to your heart, would you take a moment and share it with your friends? You can connect with us on Spotify, iTunes podcast, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Simply do a search for Atmosphere Church through these various platforms, and then click the follow or subscribe buttons. It's another great way for us to be able to stay connected with you. If you live in the Southern California area, we would love to invite you to be a part of our family. For more information about our church, go to our official website at atmosphere.church. Finally, if this service and our other resources bless you, would you consider giving back to Atmosphere Church to support not just these things, but to also support the creation of even more resources for you? To make a donation, simply go to our website and click the link that says Give. Your gift of any amount is greatly appreciated. Until next time. We pray you will keep the faith, spread the hope, and live the love.